With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with James Freeman and the Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello and welcome to the Freeman Report. My name is James Freeman. I'm a former member of the European Parliament and this is my weekday show where I break down the big issues of our time in our fight for freedom and liberty right here on today's News Talk TNT Radio. It is Thursday the 16th of November 2023 and on today's show I'll be welcoming British entrepreneur and CEO Emma Sale to the Freeman Report. Emma is one of the UK's leading so-called sex entrepreneurs who made her name after launching the adult social network Killing Kittens in 2005. Now, the network describes itself as a sexually liberated social network where the kittens are in control. The kittens, of course, being the females. And this social network is a bit different because Killing Kittens hosts what the Times newspaper describes as the world's most progressive and hedonistic sex parties. Um, extravagant events where consenting, rigorously vetted um, grown-ups sign non-disclosure agreements, obey house rules and put away their mobiles for a night of fun and fantasy. Emma is a very interesting character and not what you'd expect given the other details in her life. Her father um, served in the diplomatic service. She was school friends with the now Princess of Wales, um, Kate Middleton, and is married to James Tyndall, a former English hockey international with 126 England caps who won the European Hockey Championships in 2009 and who has competed in two Olympic Games in 2008 and 2012. And... Killing Kittens is definitely killing it as a business with an international turnover of around £1.5 million a year. So who are Emma's customers? What are the challenges in a business like this? Are they the same as any other business or does it have unique challenges? And how did the company manage during the period of lockdowns? And what next for Emma and Killing Kittens? I've got lots of questions, to be honest with you, but I'm not sure what which ones I'm allowed to ask and which ones I'm not. So I think I'm just going to let my curiosity um, um, run away with me and I'll just ask whatever comes into my mind. Um, I am also very curious about how it works um, and also if there are any downsides um, to customers, such as parties being a gateway for affairs and the breakup of long-term relationships. Um, not being a customer, I've got no idea how it all works and what the upsides and downsides are. So stay tuned for what I hope will be a very revealing conversation with Emma in a moment. Now, looking at the news this morning, I see that the leader of the Labour Party, Sir Keir Starmer, is having a few issues with his MPs as eight shadow frontbenchers have quit their positions as part of a wider rebellion against the party whip on the parliamentary vote to whether to call an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. 
56 Labour MPs defied the party whip after the Labour leadership told its MPs to abstain from the vote um, and support a Labour amendment calling for more pauses in the fighting to allow humanitarian aid to get through. Now, as far as I can see, there are two underlying dynamics causing this rift in the Labour Party, two factors that are pulling the party in opposite directions. Firstly, there is the very visible pull of Labour voters who have traditionally sided with the Palestinian people and who have backed international calls for an end to the Israeli occupation. Labour draws a lot of support from Muslim voters, particularly in some of the UK's largest cities, such as London, Birmingham and northern cities such as Bradford and Leicester. Many Labour MPs claim that they've received the most amount of letters from constituents since the Brexit period, which goes a long way in explaining why so many MPs have divided the party whip. Corbyn's leadership of the party prior to Keir taking over took a very different position on many issues, and it shows when you look at the party membership numbers and associated finance. Since Corbyn was ousted, the party has lost 200,000 members, which equates to around £7.5 million per year in membership fees. And given that the party spent around £12 million in the 2019 general election campaign, it's no small amount of money. Now, what is interesting about this story is that under Keir Starmer, the party has brought in new donors that do not represent the typical profile of donors in recent years. A report in the Financial Times revealed that the Labour Party landed Gary Lubner as its largest donor earlier this year. The multi-millionaire businessman um, donated £5 million to the Labour Party to become one of the biggest political donors in the UK and the largest now donor to the Labour Party. And the relevance to this story is that Mr Lubner is a pro-Israeli lobbyist. Now, I hate to be cynical, but I do wonder if this is why Sakir has taken the position he has, which has split the party and will likely cost him votes at the next general election. I hope you picked up on my sarcasm there, folks, because of course this is why he has taken the position that he has. So once again, we learn how politics in the UK is captured by interests that do not align with the voters themselves, because people who donate these sums to political parties don't do it out the goodness of their hearts. And on an issue like this in the Middle East, there will be clear lines that will be tolerated before future promises of funding are withdrawn. It also shows how the Labour Party is not the answer to this corrupt Tory government, because at the end of the day, Labour is no better. Welcome to the clown world of British politics, ladies and gentlemen, where voters come second to wealthy individuals who want different things to the that, um, that want different things. Those the politicians are supposed to serve. Getting my words in a twist there, just like UK politics. So if you want to get in touch about any of the issues on the show, then please email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. 
And if you want to join in the chat, uh, we do have a live chat that follows the show. You can engage with me, ask questions for our guests, which I do check. And I will ask those questions if they get any good ones. Um, so get your questions in for Emma Sale now um, by heading over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for TNT Radio. Your news, local and abroad. It's the news from home and from overseas. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning, Gemma. How are you doing this morning? I'm intrigued. Sex parties. Oh, posh sex parties by the sound of it, given the the the, <laughs> the kind of lineage and heritage of the people organizing them. I doubt there's any riffraff going through those doors for the killing kittens. What I'm what I'm amazed about is that you told me about this guest yesterday and how I've kind of it, they've gone completely under my radar. This company, I've never heard of them. I don't know anything about them. Rest assured, James, I will be putting you on loudspeaker for this interview you've got coming up. But I have to ask, are you sure you're not a customer? Because you seem to be very enthusiastic and know a hell of a lot about this. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Listen, in, in my defense, um, you know, Emma Sale is um, very, very well known. You know, she's been in all of the newspapers globally. This is not just a, a British business. Um, they they hold sex parties in the, the US, I think Australia. Um, all around Europe as well. She's been in the Sunday Times, the Times, um, the New York Post. So, no, I've come across um, Emma and Killing Kittens via reading it in the press. Well, I, I just don't see how I've missed this. I I don't know. I must have been living <laughs> under a stone or I must have been doing too many yoga classes and detaching myself from the, the world of Taud not tawdry sex parties they sound really exciting i'm really interested to hear what she's got to say and she's obviously made an amazing business out of it it's fantastic yeah and i did i have actually met um emma in person um i was actually um a meeting of people in the freedom movement and we went to london and guess where we ended up not a sex party that's going to say a sex party. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a strip club we all got dragged along to a strip club by emma so um so yeah she's an interesting character and she's obviously one of us. She, you met her at Freedom Rally. That's fantastic. So liberated in every way. It's that's brilliant. I will be tuning in. She sounds like an amazing woman. So yeah, that's uh, one one. To yeah, and of course sure. a very very successful businesswoman as well. And just before we move on, um, Gemma, there is a funny story to this as well because I was I was quite drunk. Um, I'll put my hand up, and we were we. I wasn't actually told it was a a, a strip club, right? So anyway, I'm sat there. I'm quite drunk, and I this girl sat opposite me. And um, she was chatting me for about 10 minutes, just chatting away innocently. And then she asked if I wanted to go out the back. And I thought, what? And then I looked down. <laughs> I hadn't even realized um, she was sat there in her bra and knickers. And I hadn't, I genuinely, genuinely hadn't realized until that point that she didn't have any clothes on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I felt, you must be I felt a right plonker, to be honest with you. I was going to say, you must be the least red-blooded male on the planet. That would be the first thing that most men would notice, <laughs> just a bird with no clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, well, I, anyway, I moving on. on, what story yeah, have you I got know, for moving... me, Gemma? <laughs> I don't want to move on. I want to explore these issues that are bringing, <laughs> coming to the surface with you, James. But no, moving on. Let's, let's, shall I do the thing I'm actually employed to do, which is talk about the news? Um, 
We've uh, been look, talking a lot about health uh, on previous shows today on uh, TNT, and we talked yesterday. Um, I did anyway with several co-hosts about the um, the jab they want to bring in for cervical cancer, and our reliance on drugs it seems to be backfiring. And I think it's Mother Nature's way of telling us that we've got it all wrong. Um, because there's a headline here in the UK. I don't know if you've seen it today, but deaths from antibiotic and drug-resistant infections are soaring now here in the UK, hugely. And I wouldn't wager around the world too with our increasing reliance on antibiotics. Um, so the headlines are that an antibiotics crisis is leading to a huge rise in fatalities. Um, there were more than 2,000 deaths last year as a result of our resistance to antibiotics. Um, just going back to the cervical cancer rates um, that they want to eliminate with a jab, um, 700 women died of cervical cancer last year. So it's a threefold increase on, in, in the numbers, obviously it's men and women, um, but 2,000 people, more than 2,000 people dying because our bodies are so re resistant now to the drugs that the doctors give us. Um, now, if you get an infect one of these infections that's resistant, it, the likely cause of death will be sepsis, which is organ failure and is deeply unpleasant. Um, and the health chiefs are today calling it one of the greatest public health challenges that we now face. So they're not mincing their words with this one. But I can't see this problem going away because, of course, um, antibiotics, the, the elephant in the room with this one is they're in the food. Um, the hormones and the antibiotics mm. that all animals are given um, and even farmed fish. Now they have to put all sorts of stuff in the water because there's the high levels of bacteria. So I, how do we escape this? Because they're certainly not going to stop putting antibiotics into our food chain. And that applies here, America, Australia, any developed nation. Um, maybe not so much in, in places where you've got more room for, for farming, but it is a, an increasing problem. And they talk about doctors over-prescribing, but what they don't talk about is what's in the food chain, which is, I think, where this problem has actually come from. Yeah, and of course, you know, industrial farming, um, you know, I'm... Uh... You know, we've had people on the show here talking about the, the chicken factories um, in Wales here. I'm dead against, I mean, I'm a meat eater. I'm, you know, I've got no plans to go um, vegetarian or vegan or anything. But I do believe that we can bring up um, livestock in a better way. And of course, you know, the reason we need these antibiotics with uh, the animals is because um, they're treated like factory components um, you know, and this seems to be the way the, the the world is going in America. You've got huge, I mean, you know, like small town sized um, farms where, um, you know, millions of cattle are just kept in very, very small spaces. We know about the factory farming with chickens. Um, I really don't agree with it. And I think you're right. I think this is um, where a large part of the problem comes in. Gemma, um, just finally, um, I'm going to, um, because I, I forgot to mention, um, so I've been talking about the vaccines the, for the chickenpox, which the JCVI in the UK now has recommended that all children get. Interestingly, I got a, um, a message from Full Fact this morning. Um, they're going to write an article on me um, and they've given me till five o'clock today to get back to them because they claim that um my my claim which is actually what the nhs um has historically the claim that they've held which is 
you're at a higher risk of getting shingles later on um, if you have the jab. Well, apparently that's been disputed by the CDC in the US and Full Fact are going to write a big article on this. So do look out for this today because I'm going to do a bit more research and I'm going to formulate a response to their, well, it's actually going to be, um, it's not going to be a response because I'm going to get it out before um, five o'clock today when they put their article out. So keep a lookout for that as well. This is an interesting story. I've got Claire, Dr. Claire Craig on tomorrow from Heart Group, who's also going to talk about this topic as well. Sounds very interesting indeed. But in my personal opinion, not as interesting as the interview you've got coming up. I will be tuned. I might even put something in the chat on this one, James. I might even do that in the TNT <laughs> chat. <laughs> put some questions in then. Put some questions. Like I said, I, I'm not quite sure where the line is. What am I allowed to ask? What am I not allowed to ask? So please, if you're listening and you're in the live chat, or if you're not in the live chat, get yourself over there now, tntradio.live, um, and post some questions for me. So at least I can use that as cover. It's not me asking the questions. It's you lot. Right. Thank you very much for that, Gemma. Um, and the rest of you don't go anywhere because after this short break, I'll have Emma Sale, CEO and founder of Killing Kittens. So stick with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. 
We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. L.A. County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. conversation continues. When these parents come into that school board meeting in a huge group, they will back down. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right, for those of you um, who heard my introduction, you'll know that today's um, show, um, I have a guest, um, and we're going to be talking about stuff that we don't normally talk about on the Freeman Report. Normally, we're talking about politics and about all the ills going on in the world. But today, we're going to talk about something slightly different. And I'm delighted um, to be welcoming um, Emma Sale, who's CEO and founder of Killing Kittens. Hello, Emma. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> oh, no, you're welcome. Um, I'm honoured that you would join us on the show. Emma, um, you are an interesting character. I've read um, lots of you've been in the, the press all around the world, whether it's the New York Post, um, the Sunday Times and lots of other places around the world. Um, and, you know, one of the, the things they, they kind of talk about is the contrast between what you do now and your very, I guess, would be presented in those papers as a very prim and proper upbringing. So tell us about, <laughs> let's start off um, talk about, about you a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your influences, role models, that kind of thing, and what it was like growing up and knowing um, the likes of Kate Middleton. Hmm. Um, no, so I had, I, I mean, I grew up moving all over the world, moving every two years. I had like a military, um, military then foreign office dad. Um, so yeah just grew up we always said that dad was always in the wrong place at the wrong time so you know who's in the northern in northern ireland when it all kicked off there in the late 70s um we were in berlin as the wall came down um so um and then egypt when it kind of kicked off there kuwait when you know um you know bush was in and saddam hussein moved all his troops to the borders again so it was always yeah it was a very interesting childhood um but i was at boarding school so i sort of had the the prim and proper schooling going on and then every holiday I was thrown into the crazy and um I was a real tomboy and a real daddy's girl and would be like you know camping in the desert and throwing rocks into the trees to get rid of the snakes and learning how to cook whole sheeps in in like in big yeah fire pits and things so um yeah I had a very what I live about very privileged but also I think the main for me the privileged bit yes going to you know private school brilliant but where I learned life was just was moving all over the world and seeing everyone and anyone from every different religion and culture and you know just humans all over the world really yeah and what was that like because you said you kind of moved around every two years which must have meant you know you you had to make new friends and lose uh, lose lots of um, old friends what was that like um growing up and uh, moving around so much 
Um, I mean, I was lucky in that, and that was the reason why my parents did put me in boarding school is because they saw, they very much made that call um, because they knew we would be moving every two years and our, you know, our reaching three kids from friends every two years would probably completely send us over the edge as adults um, psychologically. So it, um, so we, we, you know, I have really strong school friends because I was at one school for four years and then secondary school um for six years so I always had that rock and that consistency and then we're just half term yeah half terms and school holidays would just be out in whatever country and it meant it's sort of collecting people so actually I've got you know I've got lots of friends from when we lived in Kuwait you know lots of Lebanese friends because we used to go and party in Beirut um, all the time and Middle Middle Eastern friends who are still out there you know I go and see um so, um, and, you know, friends from Berlin that I'm still friends with. So it's sort of, you do, yeah, it's kind of collecting interesting, interesting people that um, that I'm still in contact with. And it kind of gives you, I think what it's giving me is that absolute, it's kind of a bit of an outsider's mentality. So you sort of feel you're looking in on, you can, you know, if there's drama going on around me, I just sort of feel out of it because I'm very much a bigger picture person and what's going on and you know what's the check me I say game of chess so what's the whole check chess board going on and because you've got all the different pieces and it's sort of um that's just how I am in life and friends and you know from the from the school set up playground gossip to work life to how I do business um it's sort of everyone and anyone and just all inclusive of everyone so I think that's I think that's when I look back and go, well, what did I really learn having the having the childhood that I had? And that's probably that's probably it, really. And um, can I just ask? We're going to go to the news headlines in a moment, but um, is Killing Kittens your your first business, or have you um, launched businesses before? Um, apart from wheeling dealing, when I was a kid and filling my suitcase up with chunks of the Berlin Wall <laughs> that I hacked off and selling, and like a, a Cairo Egyptian silver and stuff like that, and opening my suitcase, so when I got back to boarding school and selling it off, um, the legal business, um, yeah, it's probably, yeah. I mean, although I did have, I did launch one at the same time as Killing Games, probably just before, called French Letter Days, which was kind of the adult version of it was. Um, of red letter days i used to say it was like the adult adult jim will fix it until obviously jimmy savile went and did what he did um so saying it was the adult jim will fix it is yeah it's no longer the way i could call it so yeah we kind of organize adult fantasy scenarios and you know everything from like kidnapping kidnapping scenarios and being rescued by supergirl to um just erotic dining experiences and so just yeah so i launched that and then and at the same time, and then I launched Killing Kittens and it was just realised that actually French Letter Days, it was a lot of work, but not a huge amount. It took a lot to put it all together. Um, so, um, yeah, so I just carried on doing with Killing Kittens. It's been 18 years. Fantastic. So, yeah. And I think, yeah, 18 years. Wow. And obviously very, very successful international business um, now. Right. Um, we're going to take a quick break for the news headlines, but don't go anywhere. Um, the questions are coming in on the live chat. So I'm going to um, ask <laughs> a few of are. those. So um, <laughs> we'll be back straight after this short break. So stick with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. Here's what's making news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were violent scenes in Washington on Wednesday night as hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters rushed the Democratic Party's headquarters, demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. Iran's reportedly told Hamas it has no intention of entering the war. Turkey Air's president has lashed out at Israel, calling it a terrorist state. 
And President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping have agreed to restore communication between the two nations' militaries. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. Right. Now, Emma, um, obviously you, you've just told us that you started another business, which sounds um, not exactly like Killing Kittens, but it's the kind of same theme about adult themes and whatever. What what gave you the idea to go into that 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 industry? The adult, I, do you know what it was? I always say it was there was a fire. There's been a fire in my belly since I was little on in, in a case of, well, you know, boys, let boys can be boys. There's always, oh, it's just boys being boys. The boys can do what they want. They can, you know, it's sort of, well, boys can climb trees and, you know, do what. And I, you know, I was a real tomboy. I loved my sport. And it was, well, boys do the sport. They can be professional sportsmen. And that, you know, that that was a big thing when I was little. Like, there was never any in my head possibility of us, of me being actually being able to do sport as a living. Um, so what started as kind of sport. And then I, you know, I did, I started playing the trombone because no other girl in the school played it um, or anyone I knew. So I was like, right, boys can do that. I'll do that. And they kind of, and then you sort of go into the dating world at university and it was like, well, boys can sleep around and they can have sex with as many people as they want. And it doesn't, there's no judgment. They're lads, they're heroes, they're legends. It's sort of, but God forbid a girl has a one night stand, the slut shaming and the guilt and everything involved in that. And, you know, I remember at university, everyone was like, oh, we did everything but. Which was a lot, you know, which, you know, but have sex. And it was sort of the crazy looking at that ghost. You, you literally could do everything and loads of blowjobs and loads of whatever. And, but because you didn't have sex, you're not a slut. And so that mentality is, is just crazy looking back at it. But that's how it, how it was. And, um, and then going into London and the work world and had some harassment issues with a boss working in financial PR and, um, just left. But I went into, I then went really angry, um, and went into entertainment PR, um, and then started doing some work with the erotica show. And that's when I sort of saw the, you know, the amazing world of the adult industry and um, just everyone very open and free. And, you know, there's, there was no shame, no guilt. And and at the same time, I was out and about in London with a specific um, crowd, promotional posse, as they called it then, and had really strong women in who just owned their sexuality and owned their, and there was no shame. There was no girl and then you know they were a decade older than me and I was a little insecure kind of early 20 year old um and just thought that you know wanting to be like that um and that's how it started I just was like no actually this I wanted to flip the norm on its head and create a world that online and offline which was very much the women in control the women making the first moves women actually being able to talk about sex and talk about you know what they were thinking without any shame or judgment and you know a lot of girls wouldn't talk to their closest friends about what they were thinking and for fear of judgment um so it was just it was kind of that there was an anger in me of like no this is bollocks this is this needs rebalancing and wanting to rebalance that 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 world so it started as you know as killing its parties and there was always a bit of an online forum um there sort of ticking away that just grew and grew as well so um, yeah, so that's how it started as, you know, a bit of a screw you joke <laughs> and it's still going 18 years later. So, yeah. <laughs> well, good, good for you. Good for you, um, Emma. Tell us about the business then. So, um, when you launched, um, Killing Kittens, was it always, cause, um, I think you described, um, the business as a, a social network, an adult social network. So has it always been about these events, 
um, these sex parties or um, you know, tell tell us about the business, how it started and how it's, it's developed. Um, but obviously it's been brand, you know, it's very easy. It's very, you know, when people look in at something like this, it's very easy to go, oh, sex parties. It's without kind of seeing the nuances and seeing, um, you know, actually what is the core of it. And that, and to me, it's like when I started it, I kind of realised as well, working in the erotica show and seeing like porn stars and, and everything in that, it kind of, it became, you know, very obvious that sort of sex them brightly lit porn will turn men on and you know that's the but to women it's the touch the feel the smell the touch you know the the ambience the you our biggest sex organs is our brains that's what needs turning on so to me it was very much well setting the scene doing these parties setting the scene so all of those are um all those boxes are ticked and then if women feel comfortable then they we've got playrooms and then they you know you can have sex so it it's i always say that's kind of the byproduct of actually what what the parties were set up um for um and even now we go yes there's a lot of sex that goes on we had had an 800 person party last saturday it was our 18th birthday party you'll still get the party floor um there were you won't see any sex but you'll see lots of girls dancing around in their underwear they'll be on the dance floor just in really hot lingerie you know just just dancing so and that's that's enough that's empowering enough so it's kind of yeah, the nuances involved actually is, is very much lost on kind of that shock. Sex party. I'm a headline that's just out there. <laughs> and and was the business an instant success? Because it, it it it's like one of those. What was the first one like? And how you know? How do you? I don't know. How do you? How do you get these things going? I mean, obviously now you're established. People know exactly what the business is. You've got very, very clear rules. You get people to sign NDAs, all this kind of thing. No mobile phones. But, you know, how has the business developed in terms of the, what you're actually offering um, over the past 18 years? Um, I think, I mean, where where is fortunate in that you didn't, you don't need a lot of people to have a good party. So the past, the, you know, when I, when I started, it was like 40, 50 people um, once a month. And that instantly made money. Um, and... It, so so it's grown organically and actually where my background was PR before I started it and I was you know when you're when you're in PR you're used to writing loads of press releases probably you know hounding journalists who never reply to you and within like a few weeks of me launching um I had these big journalists emailing and calling me in like big ones not not little journalists the big ones the editors um saying can we write about it and that's when I thought well there's obviously something here there's something that's needed that's new that um and it was the same it was 2005 so you'd had you just you know sex in the city was out which was kind of suddenly the you know people were talking groups of girls talking about their sex lives and talking about the rampant rabbit and um and Anne summers had come on the high street the stores on the high street and Lalo sex toys had gone into selfridges and it they there was they were talking about this female sexual liberation going on um so it sort of it 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 was at the same kind of time so you then realize that actually it is something and it is needed and from the minute we had one article we were then you know had loads of I mean, we had a thousand members very quickly um within a couple of months we had a thousand members and it just sort of grew organically from that and it's always been actually the media have you know i've had a lot of fun with some daily mail headlines um and they and so it just it, that's how it's grown because ultimately also it's an adult business and when you work at adult businesses you can't do any advertising you can't digitally you can't do facebook post you know feasting ads you can't you can't do the normal 
marketing, online marketing that every other brand out there can do. So you're kind of very limited to how you get it out there. So it's very much been mm. word of mouth and, and the media um, that's done that. And um, we're going to go to a break in a second. But before we go, um, I'd like to know what's kind of the typical profile of your customers. And then I've got lots of my personal questions afterwards, like how does it work when we come back from the break and, and what goes on at these parties? And by the way, I'll just fire questions away. Tell me, because um, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to ask and what I'm not allowed to ask. Um, but before we anything. go into that, um, <laughs> yeah, what what is the, the profile? Who's your typical um, customer? Um, do you know what? That's another like a misconception. Like a lot of people assume yeah, I'm a bit of private girl, private school blonde. Um, it must all be like, you know, just posh, posh people. Um, oh, that I'm posh. Um, but the um it's a complete myth. So actually, you know, if you go to an event, it probably most of the people there didn't go to private school. They there are loads of different religions, loads of it is quite A B demographic because you know the, the ticket prices that you know out price. So the, you know, the average ticket price is probably about 150 quid for a couple. Um, and then you've got to buy your drinks on top and accommodation stuff. So um, um, so probably A, B demographic. But the it's I, I always say the thing that kind of connects them all is that is the mindset, is the very open-minded mindset. It's quite hedonistic. Um, you know, they're hedonists. They are the ones that sort of want to get out there. You've got one life, experience the world, experience, you know, everything, jump out of airplanes, climb mountains, do crazy sports stuff. Just, you know, they're the go-getters in life. So you get a lot of successful people, but across all industries, every kind of industry, you know, if you went into one party and asked everyone where they worked, you'd probably tick every single industry possible box that you can in the world. So, um, and every religious box and that's the every cultural box and every nationality box it's full of different nationalities so it's yeah so I, I would say the one thing that does connect them all is that mindset and open-mindedness they don't take life that seriously they are out there trying to just experience everything and non-judgmental it's all inclusive and you know I've always you know always said I wonder about that whole everyone's saying oh the future's female I was like bollocks the future's human then you know when we get to that point in the world where it's just human <laughs> and uh it's kind of and that's how that's how our world is it's just human doesn't matter what age or nationality or what you do for a living it's sort of you know are you a good person yeah it's fascinating um now obviously you know um when i was growing up i'd heard about swinging parties and stuff where you take your keys and everyone puts <laughs> them in and you you know that was kind of the old so i'm really really interested we're going to take a break now but when we come back i'd like you to just know how does it work you know if i if i <laughs> come and sign up today um where do i go how do i start what are the rules that kind of thing so we'll talk all about that um after this short break so don't go anywhere stick with me james freeman on tnt radio de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective well 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 what have we here u.s corn farmers defy a scorching summer to grow a record crop so much for the summer of drought and extreme heat in the U.S., which we had in Texas, that triggered fears about the corn crop damage. On Thursday, the Department of Agriculture, this is last week, made it official. You can't make this stuff up. This year's corn harvest was the 
biggest ever. John Lorberg, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, said that Bloomberg scared you witless about drought and extreme heat, told you it would screw up the harvest. Turned out they were wrong. Biggest corn harvest ever. Oops. Now, why did this happen? Well, first of all, it was pretty hot this summer in parts of the country. Other parts of the country, it wasn't that hot. Parts of the country were very dry, especially centered in Texas. I know where I live here in Pennsylvania, we had canyons of corn. In fact, there was so much corn, so much vegetation this year, the deer, which are all around here, aren't even wandering out across the roads from cornfield to cornfield because they have so much of the leftover corn and acorns and everything else in the woods that they can just eat it. And by the way, folklore says that's a sign of a cold winter over here. But here's my point. We are adapting to this. Nature is adapting to it. The more CO2, the more resilient and resistant these plants are, which is the solution. If you're in a panic about CO2 or the temperature, adapt and move on and use freedom and capitalism to do it. It's a loony bin world. The exact opposite thing happens. Is the headline as loud as it was before when we're supposed to be facing a disaster? Of course not. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes. Good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right. So, Emma, you've told us about the business, how, um, you know, your influences and why you started it. So how does it work? If I was to go and say, right, I want to sign up today, um, how does it work, Emma? Um, so we there's a big online, we're a huge online community. Um, you have to sign up to the site and actually we you sign up. So we split into the whole online world is now moved into uh, an app called WeRx, a WAX, there's a massive like social dating app, which is now home to the whole KK community along with loads of other set up so you sign up you register to be a member on that you show your you prove that you're a real person and identity and you have to be party verified and only women female identifying um um can be can be members of kk so they're members and then you have guest members so the guest members would be men um or 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 non-members where you can either buy a singles ticket or a couple's ticket so all the singles the single tickets you have to be a member so you have to be female um to buy one of those tickets um and then you but you can buy a couple's ticket and then you can invite a, a non-member a guest member as you call it um onto that ticket um it's all very digital um you'll be sent digital ndas you'll be sent the you'll have that your ticket attached to your profile on the site um so that when you attend that you know it is you it's not someone else that you've sent you forwarded the ticket link to or even forwarded the barcode to you just can't do that so the security side of it is is pretty tight um and and that's it really so we you know you go onto that the the online side and that lists all the events not just our events those of other people's events um you can use it as a sort of dating app side of things you can join different chat groups so once you've bought a ticket 
you can then two two weeks before the event happens you can join the pre-party chat groups they'll be like big whatsapp groups um so you can join you can join that um so then you can get chatting to other people coming to the event they often organize pre-drinks so you'll get different groups going well we're going to meet here two hours before a party but pre-drinks which is great if you're going on your own so we get a lot of girls going on coming on their own um so they'll be in those chat groups and then they'll meet up beforehand so so that's how that's how it works before an event and to come yeah to be able to attend an event um and then once yeah then when you get to the event depending on the venue there's always sort of cocktail or fizz reception oysters or we had like a caviar kind of caviar girl going around at the last party um and that's just so sort of like a drinks reception djs um performers so the burlesque kind of cabaret acts um um we have all that um and then it just turns you know it turns into a big party you can stay in the party room and just dance and see it's like you know i was saying to you off air the 800 people last saturday um I was there with a group of friends and just uh, I didn't see one naked person. There's 800 people because we stayed downstairs. We stayed in the bar area. We stayed on the dance floor. We're outside in the outdoor bit just chatting. So if you sort of you then wander upstairs and we kind of created, you know, big playrooms. So um, where, you know, these are big playrooms, depending on the size, you might have two beds together, like a big double bed or, you know, one room, I think, had 10 beds or making one huge, great, um, great play area um at the weekend so that and that's it just do it yeah and then it's all down to consent and respect and you know the main thing we have is that any guys there can't just go up to girls they've never met they have to wait for the women to make the first move so it's very simple (laughs) (laughs) sounds great um now obviously privacy is a big thing here people have to leave their mobile phones behind but i can imagine there's people out there who would want to capture footage whether that you know the hotel staff or whatever how that must be a bit of a nightmare for you because obviously it's a huge risk to to the business how do you manage that do you have people going around with electronic sweepers and, and that kind of thing i mean how do you stop we do we don't have that? the sweepers but we have um we have a big security presence um so yeah we have a big security presence we have what we call community kittens so we have um um a load of members you know girls who were at the events the hostesses and uh community kittens who are members who will wonder you know who are and actually it's so it's very self-policing because everyone knows that that's the rules um you you know people are very quick to say put the phone away um so it, it just doesn't happen everyone the phones are in pockets they stay in handbags they you don't see people on on the phone because you, people just know they're going to be thrown out instantly um and then everyone signed ndas so also you've got the digital ndas when you're buying the tickets you've got the digital the ndas when you sign up to be a member you and that all covers all of that as well and um and it's private parties with private members so actually you know the max moses news of the world thing you know when he won that that was a massive game changer and really has helped us massively because it's a private party private members so you could stick a massive, you know, BBC news camera in the middle of one of our parties and they would not be able to use that footage. So um, that's just, yeah. So it's, it's we're, yeah, we're very covered on that front. Yeah. And, and and what about the rules, the actual rules for people partaking? Um, 
you know, um, uh, I don't know, like, do people have to wear condoms? Do you have rules about that kind of thing? <laughs> or is it just, I don't know, you know, as long as it's consensual? And obviously, like you said, it's it's very much um, putting the females in power, isn't it? Well, what are the rules to yeah. do with the actual stuff that goes on? It's well, I mean, it, it, as you said, it's consent. It's consenting adults. It's consenting adults, and it's you know, it's up to them. It's you know, it's like when people you pick up a girl in a bar. It's sort of is you know, is the bar owner going to police them to use a condom if they go back to there? It's sort of it, yeah. And most of the time, often it it's actually you know the couple stay together, so they might be involved on the big bed or something, but they're with their other halves. So, um. So it's not sort of what some big free for all and and the whole kind of you know swapping partners <laughs> type thing. The yeah. um, you know it's very different um, from that. So and you do get you do get a lot of girls out who are bisexual, bi curious who and there's a lot of girl girl on girl action that goes on. So sounds horrendous, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> James's eyes are like glazing over here. Um, so. <laughs> No, my curiosity is doing somersaults. Uh, <laughs> I've got so many questions. Like I said, I'm not sure what to ask and whatnot. Um, one thing I will ask is what what does um your um your partner think about this? Obviously, you're married to I think you're married, aren't you? You're with James yeah. Tyndall, who's the Olympian, um, Olympic hockey player player. What does he make of it all? It's general. I met him. I mean, we've been together 10 years, and this has been going on 18 years. So it's sort of, you know, it was very much rocking and rolling and when I met him and a good business and um and he know and he knows it's just business that's the thing it's like I'm you know I've never people assume that you know to launch it that I must have done it because I wanted to have sex with loads of people and you know be tits up in the middle of it and but actually no it's always to me it's it's always been business it's always I always say that someone's got to keep the knickers on um and I think sex can really, and I've seen so many setups out there in the industry it's set up by people who want to do exactly that and it that massively clouds people's judgment and you can't, you know, it's gross into specs because you can't, you can't, you really can't make proper business decisions and see if that outside yeah. of mentality I mentioned at the beginning of just being able to look in and see what works and what doesn't work with any, without any emotional attachment or wanting to dive in the middle. So, um, so he knows, yeah, he knows it's just business and I doubt I've got an amazing team, an amazing events team. I mean, I've got three small kids, so yeah, my party days, <laughs> they're not over. They're still there occasionally. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I don't go, to, I probably go to about three a year in the big ones where I just take a group of friends and I just want to go and party and let my hair down and dance and and meet members. That's the thing, see it all. So, um, um, so yeah, so he's, he's totally fine with it. Yeah, cool. And um, obviously, you know, the last three years, I mean, I uh, we've met before in London as part of um, a gathering of, I guess, what you could call the freedom movement. Um, but of course, you know, the lockdowns, your business is very much about non-social distancing. Um, how was that going into the lockdowns? How did that impact your business? Well, do you know, we, we'd done financial raises in 2018 and 2019, and we were going 3,000 miles per hour to build this whole new, you know, ecosystem digital ecosystem this world um of which a big part of it was launching summer of 2020 so the big like whatsapp chat feature um and we moved all our all our education like the work sex education like workshops and webinars um and masters and we moved that all online anyway so it's sort of it was a bit of a kind of hang on crap half our business is going to be dead in the water and then the other half is going to fly. So, and the timing couldn't be more perfect, launching the tech side to a captive audience who are sat in homes and not being able to go anywhere. 
and also a captive audience who I was like, this is going to make or break couples and make, you know, actually make single people realize what they want, what, you know, what they've been putting up with and really think about their sexuality and because they had nothing else to do. So it was, there was no gray area for couples. It either made them stay together and actually look at each other and have proper conversations, which they never had before, um, or split up <laughs> post, you know, post, post it all. Um, so it kind of, it never worried us, but also, and also we knew that, I mean, you don't have to look at history of the pandemics and wars and, you know, as soon as it's over, the level of sex goes up, that escapism goes up, you know, we're in the 40s there. Um, you know, it all, it all, everyone just, you know, it's escapism. Um, so we knew that as soon as we were allowed back in contact and also that we, you know, we were always going to be back in social contact we're animals we're social creatures so the whole idea of like keeping a distance and not just goes against every bone in all of our bodies because it's just not who we are as animals so it was never a case of all oh, this is going to be permanent uh, and we knew that if you know when it did open up then and sure enough you know we went from sort of 100 200 people pre-covid to the first party we had post-covid was 600 people i think um and they've been massive ever since so the demand has gone up massively Wow. And like you said, you just had a party for 800, haven't you? And um, I was reading in the Times that um, br British taxpayers, because of obviously there was a support for a lot of companies to get through the pandemic. So actually, I, along with um, lots of other listeners, are actually shareholders <laughs> in um, in Killing Kittens, which I think is fantastic. Emma, um, we're run running out of time. We've got about a minute left. So please plug your service. Tell people um, where they can go to sign up if they want to. And also, I'm intrigued. So only women can be members and they have to invite men. So if you've got men listening that are interested, how do they go about um, signing up? Well, that I mean, that's partly why the, you know, the We Are X or Wax um, app, it, it's massive and it's all inclusive. And it that's not, there's no gender sorry attached to it it's not skewed for you know killing kittens is very much niche and one thing but on there um everyone and anyone can sign up use that as a dating app look at you know there's loads of other events out there that are very sex positive they're all listed and then also they can get into the you know we've got the killing kittens chat rooms that are we've got some men only chat rooms so and then we've got those for like over 40s those are different kind of ones so um that's the first step so e either through killing kittens or we are x you know if you google killing kittens it will come up it's it you know the how to register online comes up so it's easy it's an easy well, name to remember Emma, to be honest <laughs> sadly we have run out of time but listen i think you're fantastic i think what you've done is um is brilliant you built a, a huge international business so i wish you all the well um, um the best for the future ladies and gentlemen emma sale ceo and founder of killing kittens thank you very much Emma Thanks. and if you want to check that out go and search up Killing Kittens and you can join in the chat there and see if you fancy going to one of the events right to the rest of you don't go anywhere stick with us for some more fantastic shows here on TNT Radio Radio